Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor, and Pastor Charles Roberts. Today's discussion comes as a result of an email we received after the podcast that Charles and I did a number of weeks ago on compulsory education and textbooks. This is what our listener asked. Your last podcast on compulsory education raised a question in my mind. How can we verify the truthfulness of information we find on the Internet? Can you suggest a process or systematic way of verifying assertions, whether they are theological, political, or otherwise? I would like to hear any suggestions you might have. So, Charles, when you and I decided to tackle this, for me, all of a sudden, a number of related themed items appeared across my social media and news feeds. I got an email from somebody asking a similar question, and I you know, heard a lot of discussion that would pertain to this question our listener asked. But before we get into the particulars, do you think this is an easy or difficult question to answer? Well, I think it has many different shades to it. So on one level, it could be easy, and on another level, it could be difficult. But I I think one of the challenging parts of it is, of course, we live in a time when there is a question about how do we know anything is true, Uh, nobody trusts the media, uh, all that sort of thing. But then uh, on a philosophical or theological level, this is one of the foundational questions about everything, which is how do we know anything at all? And assuming when we say we know it, that sort of implies that we understand it to be true um, or something is true about it. We we may know something that is, in fact, false, but we know the truth of the fact that it's false. (laughs) So, yeah, it's a a very large question with a lot of different uh, aspects to it. And like all of our discussions, um, you and I don't think we give the definitive answers. What we hope to do is get people thinking so that um, the assumption being that if one person had this question, maybe others do as well, and maybe still others should be asking the question. And so to kind of go into what I earlier referred to, a big discussion now in all sorts of venues is this whole idea of artificial intelligence, referred to as AI, and how it's gotten into regular prominent discussion is that there is this program or site known as chat GPT and how it's gotten to be controversial is that let's say you are a student in high school and you have to do an essay on Thomas Edison, but you don't really want to take the time. You don't want to have to research it. So what you do is you go to this website and you say, tell me about Thomas Edison. And this website will produce an essay, a five-paragraph or three-paragraph essay, whatever you ask it to do. And it sounds like the kind of essays that people would turn in. The problem, of course, is, is that learning? And if it is learning, isn't it only as good as the information that this program has to draw from? So teachers are now 
having the dilemma. How do I know if this was my student's work or not? So the whole thing is, first of all, does the student know that this essay on Thomas Edison is true? And if it is true, is it biased? And so I think it goes back to our listener's question that says, Unless you're going to verify everything yourself and how you're going, and like what process are you going to use, you're going to use? How does anybody know anything for sure? That is indeed uh, a challenge for the reasons you just stated. Dealing with artificial intelligence and something like Chat GPTs, um, Chat GPT, excuse me. The um, the interesting thing is, as I recall, when I was in high school and college, my undergraduate days. There were places, I never used them, honestly, that you could send $20 to or whatever, and they would write you a term paper on the subject of epistemological, ontological ethics or some crazy, you know, some obscure thing like that. Mm-hmm. Not quite the same, but some, something like that existed even back in the 60s or 70s. And I, I think the problem is is that we we need to make a distinction between having genuine knowledge versus being able to regurgitate facts and information. And, you know, we, uh, we we consider or we are told that our age is what? The information age, not the knowledge age. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that the people who are all into AI and things such as that, they, they care one whit about what the differences may or may not be. I can't remember who it was which famous philosopher said that all philosophy is just a footnote to Plato. So the point there was that Plato had pretty much written and spoke about everything that could be conceived of by the pagan mind, at least. And when you start examining all the philosophical, major philosophical writings of the great philosophers, at least in, in, in Western civilization, all of them are more or less interacting with stuff Plato had already talked about in his writings. So that raises the question, uh, you know, how much of what you're reading in Philosopher A, you know, is genuine if it's not some reworking of something somebody already had said. But what you're talking about and what this modern situation is, is that those of us who maybe are not completely on board with some of the more modern technological advances are at a distinct disadvantage in that we don't typically think in terms of well, uh, I'm assuming if you've given me uh, a 50-page research paper, it's your work. Okay, maybe you looked up in a World Book Encyclopedia and quoted something <laughs> unattributed. But to have something totally generated by artificial intelligence that very much sounds like something you, student, or whoever would have written, that's a whole different ballgame. But, you know, when you think about it, you know, when uh, it says in Scripture, there's nothing new under the sun. Ultimately, isn't this of the same kind as Wikipedia? I mean, Wikipedia, when we've had experience at Calcedon, we tried to correct some of the stuff that said on the Wikipedia page, if you ask about Rush Dooney or Calcedon, and whoever runs Wikipedia oftentimes takes it down and changes it back to what it was. So when you're thinking about Wikipedia, you're thinking about the the media, or even textbooks, because we were talking about textbooks, in a lot of ways, this is AI is not new because other people are giving you pre-digested, this is what I think. So this is the greater question, Charles, that I think we have to ask. Is it actually 
realistic or even beneficial to have an opinion on everything, especially things that really don't pertain to us? I don't think it is. And obviously, we can't have an opinion about any and everything because there are many, many things we don't even think about <laughs> to have an opinion about it. Um, I mean, there, there are things constantly popping up in my field of vision and reading that I've never heard of before or it's a passing interest and I just keep going. But but the other thing is that, that contributes to this problem where people would think that, yes, I, I do. Well, not only do I need to have an opinion about everything, I have one, as a matter of fact. Thank you. And I think that's the way our culture has, has worked. And I think this has been facilitated by the growth of the web, the Internet, so that every anyone can have a blog, anyone can have their own video page, they can do uh, their YouTube channels, all of this sort of thing. And so um, everyone is an instant news commentator. And that, that we know there are good sides to that. Uh, if there's a monopoly on information by three TV networks like there used to be, um, that maybe is not always for the best. As a matter of fact, we now know it definitely was not. So I, I think the idea that we do need to be on our guard to be issuing forth some declaration about any and everything that comes from that uh, the current situation with the information technology and information age in which we live. I um, I remember many years ago, uh, I used to be a fan of the uh, the British comedy group Monty Python, mm-hmm. and they published a book. And, uh, it, you know, sort of like an adult-style comic book with pictures, and it was just sort of outtakes from various things they did. One of the characters in the book uh, said that he had – he was the author of a well-known book entitled All Anyone Need Know About Anything. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. I always thought that, that that's sort of a great title for a book, you know, no, no pretension there whatsoever. Right. Uh, and I, that's kind of what you're talking about. We, we always have to have an opinion and we certainly can do it and put it out there. Uh, it's very easy to do nowadays. I think there's a tendency in all of us to want to be informed and be able to say, Oh, yes, I know about the latest thing. But as you pointed out, knowledge is one thing, but then discernment and understanding unaccompanying that knowledge pretty much leaves it to the point where it almost becomes knowledge for knowledge's sake as opposed to what does this have to do with me? And I I think our listener probably would agree, the one who asked the question, that that's why God's word, the unchanging word of God, the canon of scripture that has a beginning and and an end, and the confirmation by the Holy Spirit that this word is true, really is what we need to know so that as we hear other things, as things are presented to us, we have a benchmark on which to say, okay, does this seem right? Does it seem right that, for example, marriage between two men is the same thing about as marriage between a man and a woman? Well, if you are versed in scripture, that shouldn't take you too long to discern the answer to that. So then you have to decide how much do you have to know about all the people who were misinformed or just wrong or evil discussing this? Do you want to spend a lot of time and effort finding out what all these people think about something that you already know is settled in Scripture? One of the great Scripture passages that we uh, we know and love uh, is Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36. It was one that 
Dr. Rastuni frequently quoted, that uh, all them that hate me, and the me there is God's wisdom personified, all they that hate me are in love with death. And it's not as if there was no other kind of knowledge or information available in the age of Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs. Um, You know, knowledge has been around since the beginning. So the point there was, there is only one true source of wisdom, only one true source of guidance, and that is God's divine infallible word. And you can choose other things, but ultimately it's going to lead you down a path to destruction, or at least extreme discomfort. But that also goes all the way back to the garden. That, too, was a discussion of what is true, right. what is what is real knowledge. And so what Satan does is he says, well, has God said, so he casts a doubt on what Adam and Eve know. Did they have a fact checker? <laughs> if there was a fact checker that says, oh, no, 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 God was right, Satan was wrong. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want us to rely on other people to tell us what's right and wrong. He wants us to rely on his word. As a matter of fact, we'll be judged to the degree that we conform to his word or we transgress from his word. So the whole idea of knowledge being the only thing that's important and we've got to accumulate all this knowledge, knowledge will have a presuppositional value. And I I shared with you... um, one of the results of a chat GPT that someone had sent me. And I think the question was, what's the best form of political government? And after a lot of hemming and hawing um, in this discussion with the AI, it was, well, I'm, I'm a machine. I don't have political views. And so it's okay. But if you were a human being, what would your views be? And the answer came back. I'd be a socialist because based on the data that I've been given, socialism is the best form of government, of political system, of economic system. Now, I said before, how is this different than textbooks or media outlets or Wikipedia? I think it's incumbent on the Christian to always examine his or her own presuppositions on a topic and then examine the presuppositions of other people. But you think of the undiscerning high school student that has to give a a report on this. If the goal is not to learn and the goal is to just get the assignment done and get the grade, then that person's going to ingest whatever's offered. I think that, you know, not to revisit the previous uh, podcast, but that's one of the problems of humanistic education is that it tends toward producing, I, I just need to get the grade without a lot of concentration on wisdom and true learning. But the example that you just gave about the computer having the conversation, the GPT, artificial intelligence, saying, well, if I was going to have an opinion, it would be socialist because that's pretty much what I've been programmed to understand. It's interesting. That goes straight back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, It's humanistic knowledge against true wisdom from God. It's the word of Satan versus the word of God. So any type of artificial intelligence, uh, at least at this stage, is only going to reflect the information, the belief system of the people or persons who programmed it. And there are only two choices in, in that regard. I think, too, 
I, I kept thinking about this in, in preparing for this uh, message. It occurred to me, there's an interesting example about this issue of, well, how do I know what's true or real about, say, whatever is going on in the world or, or whatever it may be? And I started thinking about something that Jesus told the apostles in Matthew 24, the famous Olivet Discourse. And it's significant to me, in this, as far as this discussion goes, that much of what he is saying here involves this very thing. You know, he tells them, for example, um, in verse 4, and Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So there's a promotion of false information. Now, I heard an interesting discussion about this many years ago. I've never forgotten it. And I, and I think the guy was trying to make a point. I mean, I don't think he really believed this is what he was saying. I mean, Jesus is clearly saying there, there are people who will come to you and say, I, myself, I'm the Christ. I'm the, I'm the promised one. And he say, you know, don't believe that. But the guy I heard talking about this says, you know, the way things are going, I'm wondering if he's saying there are real that people who will really say, I, Jesus, am the Christ, which, of course, he was and is. But the point is, they're false prophets, but they're just telling you this to agree with you. I'm not sure you can really get that out of the text, but it was an interesting take on it. But he, he goes on from there to say, you're going to hear about this, you're going to hear about that. Don't believe it. You know, Don't pay any attention to what you're being told because it will look like the real thing. Um, so there's an interesting discussion there about the battle of uh, knowledge and information. And, and it parallels, I think, in some ways what we are dealing with today about information about news, uh, political elections, wars, everything going on around us. I don't mean in the sense of some fulfillment of prophecy, but just in terms of the dynamics of how do we discern what is true and what is false. And and hearing that take, which is an interesting one, I, I think I could entertain thinking about that for a while. Um, Jesus is not saying, just don't believe people when they come and talk to you. He's putting the responsibility back on his listeners in other words, I've equipped you, I've given you the tools that you need, and now you must use them. But we live in a very lazy age in as much as uh, you have to decide what to wear. What's the weather going to be? Well, I can check my phone. If you have, you know, Alexa, you can ask her what the weather is going to be. Uh, there's lots of different ways you can find this out. And that doesn't make you wise. It might make you informed. But as we're saying, is information enough? If you don't know what to do with that information and you don't know if your resultant actions are going to be in conformity to God's word or not, then you're actually putting your ability to know things uh, on a pedestal and that that becomes more important than God's call in our life. Yeah, one of the ways I think this difference between wisdom and knowledge can manifest itself is if, if like myself and to you to some extent and others we know if you're in a situation where you're speaking publicly whether it's in front of five people or 50 or 100 or whatever you know you might have information you might have knowledge about certain things but it's wisdom that will help you know whether to say or how to present that information for example if i'm going to quote someone to prove a point in a sermon or some other sort of presentation. I mean, I have that information. I can just go right there and quote them. But it's wisdom that makes me say, well, wait a minute. 
what's the key thing here? The the quote or the person who said it? Because if I supply both bits of that information, the very name of that person may be such that that's all anybody's going to think about. They're going to miss the whole point of the quote and the larger issue of the presentation I'm making. They're going to think about, I you know, if you make up a name, I it's somebody famous. Oh, yeah, wasn't that guy in a movie, and didn't he go do this? So wisdom is what tells you, you don't need to say the name of the quote, or the person who made the quote. Just share the information of the quote, and that'll get the point across. So it's being able to take facts and knowledge and to use them in a way that, well, for us to glorify God, and that's in accord with his divine word. Uh, but wisdom can be as simple, something as simple as, Okay, you can teach your child how to, say, cook something on a stove. That's information they can use. But there's a certain amount of wisdom that goes into how much of whatever they're cooking. You know, Hopefully, the, the point is getting across there about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Right, because there has to be a contextual understanding that, yes, it's fine to cook when one of your parents or your older brother or sister are there, but this isn't something you would do on your own. Because you might not be able to deal with potential negative consequences. So that's why I believe that if you look at scripture as the foundational point, then that's the most important thing to teach people so that then when they encounter something that's new, they have a way to evaluate it as opposed to saying, well, that person looked nice. That person seems smart. Um, I like the way that person dresses. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into people um, adhering to a point of view that have nothing to do with the actual subject matter because we've been so visually inclined that um, if an ugly person says it or you think that person's ugly, you're not likely to listen. But if an attractive person says it, well, then you're likely to listen. You know, and I think, too, that another reason why we don't necessarily have to be ready at any given moment to espouse an opinion about any and everything is because wisdom will help us decipher and determine how much of any and everything is worth even having an opinion about. You know, I, I remember uh, in something that Solzhenitsyn said in his speech at Harvard in 1978, I mean, he, he referred to People in the modern Western world, unlike you know the um, the Eastern world from which he came, Eastern Europe, that you know he he used the phrase they're having their divine soul stuffed with commercialism and and modern music, things that he found profoundly distasteful and a waste of time. And I think we've lost a sense of the fact that you know there are certain things and certain pursuits in life that frankly are just a waste of time. And that comes from not having a, a true biblical foundation about the purpose and meaning of life and how we glorify God. And that doesn't mean, of course, that you 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 can't glorify God unless you're doing certain types of employment. You know, the old Roman Catholic dichotomy between, you know, the, 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 the spiritual life and the secular life. And if you want to really glorify the Lord, you go off into a monastery or a convent or the priesthood or whatever it may be. You know, it was the Reformation that helped us see we can glorify God in any number of ways, as long as we're doing it to his glory, and it's a worthwhile pursuit. Um, can we glorify God in developing a software program that allows us to cheat people out of lots of money? No, we can't. So that I think that's another foundational point here, is that if we are standing on 
and are grounded in the knowledge given to us in Scripture, which is the only true ground of knowledge, then we're going to recognize that certain things by and of themselves are a total waste of time, and we would be wasting our God-given abilities to even bother to think and pursue it. I think there's probably something to be said for those who would like to control the population in general to bombard people with so much information that they experience something like information overload to the point that they just don't care anymore. Uh, you know, I, I just don't care. I, I can't be bothered with that. What's happening in the other side of the world, I don't have control over. So you want to be concerned with having the proper information with which to judge, even if something is important or not. And I was thinking of um, the episode in the book of Exodus, where Moses's family has been a part of a culture now that are being told to drop your sons in the Nile. And that came about because somehow or other, uh, even though Pharaoh's original tactic of, you know, having the midwives kill all the boys that were um, born, that didn't work because, you know, the midwives told them, wow, they just deliver so fast, we can't get there in time, which was, of course, not true, but they were not obligated to help Pharaoh exterminate the Hebrew people. So then it was you had to dump them in the Nile. So I imagine there was a lot of things to know about Egyptian culture that um, Moses's family could have been sidetracked on. But once they knew in their hearts that they could not kill their son, you know, the Ten Commandments hadn't been written yet, but the law was on their in their consciousness because everybody's born with this awareness. So the family needed to know enough about the way things were so that when they put him in the Nile, and his sister Miriam was hanging out watching what happened, that somehow or other that they knew enough about the Egyptian culture and Pharaoh's daughter to say, um, oh, you know what? Uh, you found this baby. That's great. I know somebody who can take care of this baby for you. So they had to know enough about current events and Egyptian culture to be able to pull that off. There were lots of other people who had drowned their babies and they weren't operating off of the conviction that we're not allowed to do this. We're not allowed to kill our children. So I think what I took away from that as I was thinking about it, we need to know enough to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But once we ascertain that a particular thing, whether or not this controversy between this actress and this actor, in other words, don't even spend time on it because it's not fruitful. And the less you get overloaded with nonsense, the better able you will be to pursue the kingdom, which if you think about Moses's mother and his sister, they were pursuing the kingdom. Well, I think the reference you made a few minutes ago uh, about um, maybe nefarious influences wanting to control populations through constant bombardment of knowledge or information, excuse me. And then the point that you, you just made about being able to uh, know enough about what's going on. Uh, I, I don't know how it is for you there in California, but here where I am in this part of South Carolina, uh, it's interesting to see how the evening local evening news broadcasts have 
completely changed from just the way they were 10, 15 years ago. I mean, we, we, you, you were talking about the, you know, the, the ho- what Hollywood star is doing. What that's what passes for news nowadays, at least around here. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, a news story about something new that's happening with Instagram, uh, something that this famous Hollywood actor is doing. I mean, it's not really news in any traditional sense of the word. It's it's fluff and entertainment and and things related to such matters as hobbies and and that sort of thing, but. As you were talking about the situation with Moses and his family and Egyptian culture, uh, one of the things that came to my mind was the uh, the joke that was going around, or maybe it was a meme, I don't know, a year or so ago, and hopefully some of our listeners will appreciate this. And the question was asked, well, why are there so few instances of COVID among the Amish? And the answer was, because they don't have television. <laughs> right, right. Another thing that came to mind as a result of our listener's question is how often we think we know something because we've read a headline or we've looked at a meme. And one of the memes that I think is so funny is you have a picture of Abraham Lincoln and it says, don't trust everything you read on the internet, signed Abraham Lincoln, right? So you see, that's a meme. Oh, okay. He said that. Well, of course, he could never have said that because there was no internet at the time. So I think this fixation on we're in the know. Have you heard about now, you know, the World Economic Forum is going to do this, that, or the other thing? It's like, do we really need to get angst over this? I mean, we might need to know some things about it, but whatever they pronounce, is that going to be superior to Psalm 2 to tell us how things are going to end up? And does it really change what I do today? based on what these tyrants or wannabe tyrants would like to shove down our throat. See, we can get distracted, and maybe that's the point. Maybe we're supposed to be so overwhelmed with information, so distracted, that we sort of go into this uh, catatonic state where it's like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then maybe the next guy who comes along and says, well, don't worry about that because the rapture, this means the rapture is going to happen. And so then people find solace and they've been lied to in two directions. Well, at the risk of sounding like a Luddite, I think that from my thinking of it, if we had a truly biblically based godly society, I mean, it would not only look different in terms of the ethics and morals that everyday people you know, um, engage in, but in terms of the pursuits of life and the things that give life meaning, it would be very, very different. So much of what we do in the modern world is derived from and founded on uh, pretended knowledge that has nothing to do with the teachings of God and Scripture and how we are to interact with the world that he created and he placed us in. And so, uh, I mean, I was joking about the Amish thing there, but I mean, that in some ways, maybe that's a small microcosm of something like that, where these people, uh, or similar, we, we have people who homestead today. We have intentional communities of Christians that, you know, <clears throat> get together and they, they, they want to pursue godly lives, teach their children at home, raise their own food and crops and animals and that sort of thing. And that's the calling that life, uh, God has given us. And, um, 
you know, when we veer off into things that are not founded on the divine truth of God's word in Scripture, that's when all these other things start crowding in, and all of a sudden we find ourselves wanting to know what's the latest thing going on, like you referred to the World Economic Forum and and all that. Um, I remember something that Dr. Rastuni wrote concerning conspiracy theories. He had several things to say about that, and he certainly appreciated the reality of there being those things. Scripture speaks of it, after all. Men conspire against God and his anointed. The point is that at a certain point, because of our fixation with these things, whether implicitly or explicitly, the the things that the the conspiracy is founded on, which is based on, okay, here's here's really what's happening, it, it takes on a, a larger uh, sovereignty or omnipotence in our minds than God does. And so everybody's constantly fixated on the, the latest evil thing that's going on over there, over here, when ultimately we know that bad men will do bad things and pursue evil schemes. But the main thing we need to know is if we are doing what the Lord calls us to be about doing, as men, women, as families, uh, as Christian cultures, then we will be glorifying him, and those things will take care of themselves. Not to say we shouldn't defend ourselves, not to say that we shouldn't be on our guard against evil and false teaching and all the rest of it. Um, but I think that if Christians especially who are rightly concerned about the direction of culture and politics, they need to examine carefully if they have not gone over to the side that, you know, really I'm saying that this group of people and, and this particular type of effort to undermine our Christian uh, faith is more omnipotent than God. It's more powerful than God. So let's throw up our hands and go run away. Right. Do we forget that um, the hairs on our head are numbered, which means the hairs on the bad guy's head are numbered, that God allows us to take our next breath? Well, God allows them to take their next breath. So when we get all up in arms that we must do something, especially on things that um, we don't really have the ability to do that we become anxious and fearful. And I don't know how many people actually look at that as sin in their own lives. If you're going to be anxious and fearful about what the enemies of God are going to accomplish, then maybe you forgot who God really is. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a, a stepping stone to another example about being wise. Uh, you know, God gives us the ability to accumulate wealth and prosperity and material goods, and we are to use that and those things for his glory. And being wise and being observant, say, for example, in the stock market and the things that are going there, uh, that might lead you to say, well, you know, these um, these speculations and these manipulations of fiat money by men uh, and the, in the short run, I perhaps can make a certain amount of money by speculating or allowing some accountant or something to do that for me. But then we are thrust back into God's true wisdom if we are sincerely seeking that and reading and studying it in Scripture that talks about the importance of just weights and measures and what real wealth is, both in terms of uh, family and in terms of our spiritual lives, in terms of hard money. So th- those are good examples there, too, I think, of how there's people go, oh, did you see the stock market? Do you see what's going on there? And if you've got a lot of money invested in it, you probably should be concerned. But maybe your concern should lead you to saying, okay, what's a truly biblical way for me to handle 
my finances and my wealth? What what does God's law tell me I should be doing in order to honor him and prosper thereby? And I think that's a key point, Charles, because you have a lot of people who know a lot about sort of scripture, but they have not looked at the commands of scripture, the laws of God, which some want to say have been rescinded, but I can't find where they've been rescinded. So maybe they haven't been rescinded. And so they might be really concerned about, you know, where America is investing and whether we're helping this country or not. And yet they don't examine themselves. Do they tithe? They don't examine themselves. Um, are they in debt? And are they continually living in debt and trying to profit from debt? Do they decide that, well, yeah, maybe I would send my child to a different school, but then we'd have to give up this or that, that the core value of what their children are learning is not that important to them. Or let's say that they have, you know, raised their children and they say, well, you know, I know I sent them to public school, but maybe, um, I mean, I don't have kids now. So maybe if I had kids now, I would do something different as opposed to saying, how might I help another family not make the same mistake that I did? And so as we go through all this, if we're not shining a light on ourselves and all we're doing is pointing a finger at bad guys and not really even solving the problem, because why can the bad guys flourish? Well, it's because God's people aren't living self-consciously and deliberately in obedience to God. Yes, and I think that in terms of the what we were talking about at the beginning, uh, I'm certainly not saying, and I don't think you are either, that Christians should just simply uh, cut off all their electricity and um, you know build an outhouse in the backyard and you know completely seg- uh, segregate themselves from all civilized society as it's come to be defined at least. And the question is, how can we take the material that we have and that is presented to us and use it to the glory of God and for the advancement and expansion of his kingdom? And certainly the Internet, uh, the World Wide Web, can be used for that sort of thing. Uh, I, I don't know enough about artificial intelligence to know whether or not that could be or could be not. But the the ability, say, to mass produce vast amounts of information and words has been tremendously helpful in terms of getting God's word out to, to lots and lots of people and being and, and the portability uh, and, the, and the ability to use scripture. Uh, and small and small handheld devices and you know laptops and all this sort of thing uh, it it's a blessing in in many ways but the point is how are we using it what are we using it for and, and maybe there are some cases where there's some things that should not be pursued and if they have been by evil men for evil purposes and there's nothing uh, of to, to use an old phrase social redeeming value uh then it should be done away with right so ethics plays a part, and you can't have a biblical ethic if you don't know biblical law. Um, something you said got me to think years ago, and I'm talking late 80s. I was still new to the faith and learning, and I was at a conference, and Gary DeMar was there, and people are familiar that he has a book. Um, it was a three-volume set. Now it's all together in one called God and Government, and he would discuss, or he did discuss, the three spheres, family, church, and um, civil government. And so afterwards, I asked him, I said, I just have this question, where does the media fit in to those three institutions? 
And um, at the time he gave me this answer and I went like, okay, maybe someday I'll understand this answer. He said, it was the function of the prophets. The prophets were the ones who helped people understand what they should focus on and what they should be concerned about. And um, I was like, uh, okay. But now I realized that there was a real, that was a really good answer because um, it wasn't like the prophets in the Old Testament didn't have any competition. There were plenty of people, plenty of other prophets saying other things. So the question was, who were you going to listen to? And so uh, remember that we're always listening to a prophet of someone. Is it a prophet of, you know, status government? Is it a prophet of um, an uh, apostate cult? Or are we listening to the prophet of God and the prophet, you know, the word of God ends up being prophetic for us. So we have all the, the 66 books of the Bible that will serve as where the major media outlet we should be pursuing to be able then to evaluate other things and keeping in mind that a prophet is someone who speaks for God as opposed to just someone who predicts the future. Um, I think it was Rush Dooney who said the law of God is very prophetic because it does predict the future. If you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're cursed. So in, in a lot of ways, it's a lot simpler than it might seem that uh, if you're in Christ, if you're reading the word, if you have a prayer life that acknowledges your dependence on God for understanding, etc., then you'll know the right move to make. And you can stop listening to um, voices that don't really matter. Yeah, and I think uh, what Gary DeMar told you is sort of the same point that I was making in an indirect way with Matthew 24. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to hear all these people say thus and so and thus and so. But the truth is this, you know, uh, and of course, Jesus is the ultimate great prophet. So and also the thing that you said a moment ago about the ethical nature of knowledge uh, at least you're implied it. I mean, we we understand, and this is what's completely lost on those who don't really understand the absolute sovereignty of God's law word, is that knowledge is not some isolated, neutral ground uh, where we can all get together and play on the playground of knowledge and come up with all kinds of exciting information. No, not according to God's word. Um, the knowledge and learning and information is profoundly ethical. And it will be pursued and generated either from the standpoint of God's law or from the standpoint of Satan or humanistic man. And so this is why we have to be continually on our guard and to recognize that even though your your favorite national news broadcaster is pervasive and seems like they have a lot of authority and information and wisdom, this is not the place that we pursue it. And I don't know of any of the major information outlets, I'll put it that way, whether they pretend to be conservative or liberal or in between or whatever. I don't know of any of them that are grounded solidly on God's law. And I think this dovetails into what should education be? We really do, and we've talked about this before, Charles. We've got to use a biblical model and paradigm as opposed to a, a humanistic one, or even the one that all of us have been exposed to from the time we were born. What does it mean to be educated? What does it mean 
to be able to be useful to yourself and others in terms of furthering God's kingdom. And with this advent of AI and, you know, computer learning, and I think a lot of this probably was ushered in because of COVID and the, the turn to doing things online rather than in person, we can use these tools, but we want to make sure that we're not being seduced into a belief that says we now are truly educated. Education is to know God's word, understand God's word, apply God's word so that your faith is manifested and how you live. And then what it means to be educated will change dramatically from the society that wants to credential people and say, oh, no, no, person who just knows the word of God and how it applies to life. That's not an educated person. What we need are people who've gone through our system. And I think this whole AI thing is a blessing because it now makes people think, how am I going to know where I'm getting my information and how is it reliable? And in that, I, I hear the echo of Satan's question in the garden. Did God really say that? You see, it all comes down to the same place, that we are faced with a choice between the word of Satan and the word of God. And, you know, the, the proliferation of all these things we've been talking about is humans' continued fascination with trying to say, well, maybe he really didn't say that, and maybe maybe this idea that we shall be like God, knowing good and evil, or determining is what it literally means, determining good and evil, that's a constant appeal to fallen man. And so this is another thing that has generated so much of these things. It's the aspiration to be as God. And, you know, we can see how much of this has been prefigured. And uh, like uh, someone I know who's written a lot about this, um, has called it predictive programming and also revelation of the method. Just take a look at the, at the sci-fi type movies that have come out in the past 20 or 30 years. You could even take it much back, back much further, excuse me. But these, these are the themes of either there are uh, characters in some of these films who, who are uh, artificial intelligent androids and robots and they're indestructible. They have so much knowledge uh, or there's some, you know, transhumanist fusion where we come up with a, a guy that's half man, half machine, who can be a better police officer. These are all attempts to disregard the word of God. And, and listen again to that question of Satan. Well, um, again, I want to thank our listener for submitting the question. And I really relish when people do this because it happens to me often. I'm hearing a discussion. I'm listening to a sermon. I'm even reading a portion of scripture. And then all of a sudden I realize, whoa, my mind has just gone to a question I have as it relates to that. And so um, we appreciate that. And I hope our listener found some degree of satisfaction in hearing our discussion. But uh, I think there's a lot of things, Charles, that we need to discuss. And as we talk about it, I think we find out what we think, and that certainly has been the exercise for me as I was preparing for this and even our discussion. Yes, absolutely. We we really like to hear from our listeners and are open to any suggestion they may make uh, for pursuing you know discussion along these lines. So yes, keep them coming. And where you'll keep them coming is to out of the question podcast at gmail.com and We'll talk to you next time. 
Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.